Microphone check. One, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. The rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. This is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Are you a rap music fan? Are you someone who loves the feeling of discovering new music, but find it hard to navigate through the thousands and thousands of new albums that get released every single day? If any of this applies to you, this show is exactly what you need in your life. My absolute passion is music. So I gladly do the dirty work of virtual crate digging, searching for the next great album so that you don't have to. I am into all kinds of music bringing you fresh album and song reviews and inspired commentary on all that the mainstream and underground rap scene have to offer. If you're an artist who wants to get their album or song reviewed on the show, feel free to hit me up at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com or shoot me a DM via Instagram or Twitter at rohview where we can discuss a potential review on the show, potential collaboration ideas like coming on as a guest, Or even if you just want private feedback, I can do that as well. I would love to be a part of helping you grow as an artist. I live for this. Nothing makes me feel better than expressing my thoughts and feelings about music. But I've still got more on my mind than just music, so although the focus of the show is certainly rap, I will occasionally cover hot-button political issues from time to time. So that's enough compulsory podcast introduction. Let's get to the show. What is up, family? I am so pumped to talk about the albums that we'll be reviewing today because they all, to a varying extent, attempt to discuss very deep and meaningful topics uh, such as mental health, racism, poverty, and a lot of the ills overall that afflict a lot of society Uh, in today's day and age. First, we'll be discussing how Billy Woods and Moore Mother attempt to accomplish this with their collaborative debut, Brass. And then we will be discussing Man on the Moon 3 by Kid Cudi, the return to this famed trilogy by the Cleveland artist. And then finally, we're going to have another indie spotlight on Rick Chime and Yelnam Evid with their record, Stones. So, starting with Brass. Brass is created by the duo of Billy Woods and Moore Mother. Billy Woods is a New York rapper who has really made a name for himself in the 2010s with smart and gritty projects time and time again that expose the cold realities of a lot of the problems and issues that affect Western society. His delivery features a commanding voice that is very poetic and abstract that utilizes a lot of dry humor that lands quite nicely for me. 
Billy has been one of my absolute favorite artists for the better part of this last decade with his solo work, but also as one half of the insanely dope Arm & Hammer group uh, with other fellow rapper and producer Lucid, who dropped the excellent Shrines album earlier this year. Moore Mother, on the other hand, is a poet, rapper, musician, activist from Philadelphia. Her music really started to gain some traction in the music world in the latter half of the 2010s. I'm not nearly as familiar with her discography as I am with Billy's, but from what I've heard from her, it has been very strong and very interesting and powerful music, particularly her creative Circuit City project from September this year that mixed free jazz and poetry in a really unique way. So now these two uniquely creative artists decided to join forces and blend their unique and distinct approaches to music together for this collaborative album in brass. And I was really excited to see what the results would be. And on first listen, what grabbed me first was very clear and that was the soundscape because it really blew my mind to be honest. This album sounds like subterranean dark jazz rap with glitchy tendencies where sounds often come in and out of one ear and out the other. Uh, sounds get louder and softer repeatedly on a moment's notice. It's disorienting but hypnotic in the best possible way. Every beat is mixed with so much care. So many neat sounds come in and out of the mix with beautiful touches of jazzy saxophone, muffled guitars, brass as you'd expect, and woodwinds that are constantly evolving and mutating throughout the background of these tracks. Rarely do beats stay the exact same on a given track, so it constantly keeps me on my toes and engaged. An example of this is on Rock Cride, which is brass at its absolute finest. There's these beautiful pieces of jangly percussion, an odd buzzsaw synth that comes in and out constantly throughout the beat, crispy drumming that lead into a full beat change where Billy then effortlessly finds the pocket and drops one of his best verses of the album. There's such a strong sense of atmosphere that is cultivated from the production alone, and it's also detailed, textured, and all-encompassing. It's really impressive. And what makes this sound particularly special is that the album's sound is still very warm and inviting, despite all of the musical risk-taking. Take Mom's Gold, an instrumental track that sounds like straight synthetic acid jazz, if that genre exists. It's an absolutely harrowing listen, yet even the distortion in the jazz elements and other dark sound effects still sounds so pleasant and nice on the ears, and not necessarily cold or abrasive. This warm and inviting sound of this album is aided also by brilliant singing vocals throughout this project. Singing from Wolf Weston on track 2 is absolutely phenomenal. Fielded on Black Forest was also phenomenal and really one of my favorite vocal performances I've ever heard from her. It's just, it's just gorgeous. You know, believe it or not, I would say Billy's History Will Absolve Me from 2012 is actually a much more abrasive listen than this. Even though the album's sound is certainly challenging, at no point do I feel 
that it's very abrasive, which is a very difficult tightrope to balance, yet they manage to do it. Finally, there manages to be such a remarkable cohesion throughout this entire album. Even with this very diverse sound palette, Willie Green's steady hand on the beat making table, but also from a mixing and mastering standpoint, was able to do this. And I'm assuming he mixed and mastered this project brass because it falls under the Backwood Studio label, which Willie Green often... Uh, executive produces, mixes, and masters all of these projects. So I find it really, really incredible that he was able to blend all of these, not only sounds, but also this diverse production lineup as well, as there are quite a few producers on this project. Preservation, Messiah Music, Steel-Tipped Dove, Olaf Melander, Child Actor, and even The Alchemist. Yet, as Child Actor, a great producer duo on this album, put to me in a little Twitter back and forth earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, said that Willie managed to make the front end of this album, which Willie Green produced entirely himself, fit like a glove with the rest of these beats that weren't actually produced directly by him later on in the project. And that is a really key point to make, because as you listen to this project, it feels like this whole album is just one long transforming song because even though the diversity in sound is certainly there, there is such a consistent through line throughout it all that makes this flow so effortlessly. No moment sounds out of place or doesn't match the thematic tone or the musical palette of what preceded it. It's this album Brass that has made what has been the case now for a while abundantly clear which is that Willie Green is the Mike Dean of this corner of the underground, serving as the primary beat maker oftentimes, or just the engineer, executive producer for the catalogs of Billy Woods, but as well as Elucid, Quelle Chris, Blockhead, Rock Marciano. His influence and fingerprints are all over some of the scene's best records, yet often flies under the radar. And this is similar to how Mike Dean is the unsung hero for much of Kanye's, Travis Scott's, Big Sean's, and much of the mainstream's biggest releases, serving as an audio genius, adding exceptional touches of additional instrumentation, mixing, and mastering to much of their work. All of this is to say we need to give Willie Green his flowers now. And so... With Brass, we've covered now the production, which is just unbelievable. It is absolutely exquisite throughout, but we now have to get to the lyricism and the subject matter. So after I took in a lot of the musical elements of this project, it was the lyricism that started to really make an impact on me after repeated listens. Once this dense lyricism started to unravel after the ridiculous amounts of listens I've already given to this album, it really started to bring this project to an entirely new level. From a musical standpoint and from a lyrical content standpoint, this project is really interesting because it feels like it exists in the past and the future at the same time. Now what I mean by that is that the sounds of the early 60s and 70s avant-garde jazz movement are present here, 
side by side with futuristic sound manipulation techniques that make you feel like you're in a dystopian world taken over by greed and dehumanizing technology. And then from a subject matter standpoint, the lyrical content is sometimes metaphorical, sometimes narrative driven, but feels evergreen in that the ideas of living in an exploitative, racist society that seems to be designed to remove any forms of dignity and hope for the poor, particularly for black and brown folks, could literally apply to any point in time in our world's dark history. How Billy and Moore Mother communicate through their lyrics with sublime clarity is what really makes this album Brass so spectacular. They manage to illustrate so many saddening facets of life in the most eloquent of ways. Starting with Billy Woods, Buyer's remorse for everything that we bought is something that he rapped on the track Rock Cried, which encapsulates Billy's innate ability to say the simple truths in life with remarkable insight and with remarkably sobering effect. He's not often very wordy or anything like that. Instead, he chooses to smack you outside the head with brutal distillations of the psyche of a person who is put in a dire situation, often due to poverty, classism, racism, or all of the above, where he says something so frank and removed of ambiguity that it sometimes takes a while to grasp. It reminds me a bit of how Homeboy Sandman approached his latest album, Don't Feed the Monster, which I reviewed on episode 19 of the show. Billy's lyrical approach remains so realistic and removed of hyperbole, yet it's still so morbid and downright saddening. And what I find interesting is that a line like that from Rock Cried, and also many other lines and passages throughout this album, highlight that it's not actually the mindset itself of Billy himself or any characters that he portrays in his lyrics that is particularly brutal or negative. It's really the societal conditions around these observations that he speaks that is truly the dystopian and terrible part of the equation. This is why I love Billy's approach to social commentary so much. The song Guinnesses showcases Billy's brilliant lyricism and serves as a truly sublime moment of unsettling calmness on brass. He has a line here where he says, Need more, first thought when I get the cream. This is an incredibly simple line, yet it speaks volumes. And how I interpret uh, this line, which I want to be clear is my interpretation only. I don't want you to take this as me trying to act like I know the objective meaning behind any of these bars, but especially on an album like this with such coded and poetic lyricists in Billy and Moormother. But so the way that I interpreted this line is that it's speaking to that idea of if you aspire for material like money, status, it's just a vicious cycle where you'll never feel truly at peace or satisfied if you're constantly striving uh, for something material instead of just connecting with the moment and being at peace with that. Uh, and the other passages of this song continue this weighty subject matter as it communicates a lot of imagery 
that describes the uprising that's currently occurring in the states and really a lot of other places in the world now amongst black people and just the poor in general that have been shit on for so long and at least at this point seem to be coming to a certain level of awareness that the power structures that are currently in place have taken advantage of them, manipulated them, just in a simple materialistic selfish mission to simply add an eighth ninth or tenth zero to their bank account this song finishes off with a really interesting skit between two individuals that i'm unfortunately don't know who they are but they provide a critique on the idea of sacrificing one's principles just to get by to put food on the table for a lack of a better phrase here and it makes me think personally of the systems I uphold and contribute to in my day-to-day in order to get by as well. And it's this kind of album that really makes me want to be a better person and want to be more conscious of my impacts on my loved ones, but also on society as a whole. And it's just really, again, powerful stuff. Moving to Moore Mother's contributions now, Moore Mother's strongly poetic spoken word type delivery certainly was the aspect of this album that took me the longest to connect with. This was because her lyrical approach was rarely straightforward, but also because it contrasted Billy's style, which at this point is just so ingrained in my ear at this point. So right off the bat, Billy's contributions just connected right from the get-go and felt fresh as hell. With Moore Mother, her spoken word slash rapping often is in the form of analogies and metaphors that details issues and experiences related to being black in today's society, which is a consistent theme throughout this album. And the final result often sounds like Moore telling you some dark folktale that unfortunately isn't a work of fiction at all. A beautiful illustration of this is on the track Chimney, where Moore Mother shines where she delivers an incredible metaphorical story of a man who was told he had no home by a man with no soul, which I interpret as a metaphor for white slave owners telling black slaves that they had no home, no culture, and no society in Africa. And the following lines in this track detail how all of this dark reality led to black people living a cursed life in America and inevitably dying because of it. This is powerful stuff, and it is consistent throughout all of Brass. Chimney continues after that with a fantastic Makami verse and another incredible Billy verse as well. The last real positive of this album is that I really appreciated how it ended, in that it ended on a more brighter note. Now I don't see the ending being the track Portrait, serving as like a, oh, everything is perfect and at peace now kind of song. But I see it starting with Navy Blues, great feature verse that is more on the solemn side or more on the just describing reality side for a lot of his people. And then with Moore Mother's verse, I see it as Moore swooping in to the rescue, proclaiming how she will extinguish the evil through the imagery she displayed in her verse, while Billy finishes it off 
with some witty one-liners and basically sends the album off on a positive note over a really dope, ever-changing child actor instrumental. On Brass, the highlights are incredibly high and has some of the most uniquely brilliant musical moments that I've heard all year. The only real nitpicks I have are that the singing on Scary Hours was just a bit too campy for this kind of album in my opinion. It was just too extra. This type of singing sounded like it would sound better on the latest clipping record, Visions of Bodies Being Burned, that took more of a traditionally very uber dramatic way of presenting the horror and darkness that was so much more abrasive and in your face. So I feel like that kind of singing would have fit better there. And another thing is that although Rapunzel is a good song on its own, it's much more quote unquote regular sounding than the rest of this album that is much more mind-blowing and kind of musically explorative. This is the same thing I felt with Tiberius as well. But then again, they do add some form of structure to what is a really wild album, so I understand its purpose. And again, this is genuinely just a minor nitpick because these songs are definitely dope as hell. By no means are they a weakness. It's just that the rest of this album is on such a ridiculously grand and ambitious level. I know that as I continue to listen to this album, I will further unpack more details in the lyricism and the production, but for now, I can say that this is comfortably my album of the year and a borderline classic. So I give Brass by Moormother and Billy Woods a 8.9 on 10. If you're a fan of jazzy music or of pretty psychedelic styles of music with a penchant for heavy lyrical content, this album is tailor-made for you. If you're interested in any of these artists as solo artists, this is 100% for you as both of these artists absolutely brought their A-game. If you're interested in more mainstream music or meat and potatoes, simplistic traditional hip-hop, I would be concerned about you really liking this album, but it's honestly so lyrically, conceptually, and musically fantastic that it's worth a try just because of that alone. You may not really mess with the style of music, but it's definitely worth a try. I cannot say enough good things about Brass, and I'm just so grateful that they dropped this right before the holiday break so that I could soak this in on my holidays. So thank you, More Mother, Billy Woods, and all the great producers that worked on this fantastic project. Now we're going to discuss how Kid Cudi let the listener into his mind and see how he did at portraying a meaningful, impactful statement on mental health and how to get through it. So Kid Cudi is a Cleveland artist who blew up in the 2008-2009 years with some successful mixtapes which all culminated into Man on the Moon, The End of Day, which was the debut record in this Man on the Moon trilogy with some big singles uh, such as Day and Night. Cudi was one of the pioneering influences for this singy-songy style with very emotional and introspective, vulnerable subject matter, 
which Kanye adopted and brought to another level, in my opinion, on 808s and Heartbreak. And then Drake's entire musical output spawned off of these two artists in Cuddy and Kanye. And then finally, Travis Scott. So Cuddy has been a huge influence on the game, taking from the likes of T-Pain and other kind of like singing artists early on in the R&B rap genre and really putting a focus on being emotional and sensitive in the raps and the singing. At the time of the release of Man on the Moon 1, I loved that album. But also, I was in grade 9, grade 10, so I was about 16 years old, 15 years old. I found that Man on the Moon 1 did a great job of capturing a almost childlike view of depression and navigating the world and maturing. However, over time, I found that this album started to lose me as I grew older. It was though Man on the Moon 2 that was the more mature, darker, bolder record that I ended up liking more and more as time passed. And I was hoping that Man on the Moon 3 would continue in this trend as he's much older now. And as well, I was hoping that it was going to continue on the positive path uh, that Kids See Ghosts, the collaboration between himself and Kanye West from 2018 laid. So, so although I've never been an insanely big Kid Cudi fan, I still had some hopes for this album, especially given how good Kid See Ghosts was. So Man on the Moon 3 starts off pretty nicely, showing that the blend of his trademark crooning and rapping styles would remain. But I found, especially early on and in the middle section of this album, when the production upped the ante on the loud, bassy side, so tracks like Heaven on Earth, Show Out, I wasn't feeling it at all. Because this project is at its best, and Kid Cudi's music in general, is at its best when he's dropping these soaring choruses, doing his trademark moans, over trippy instrumentals that are creative and detailed, and not when the music demands for his rapping style to steal your attention, wow you, or command your attention over really loud beats. And although it feels kind of foul or just not right to say this, I have to, to be honest and say that, as I mentioned earlier, although Cuddy is an actual influence on this artist, but when Cuddy is rapping over these really aggressively loud uh, instrumentals, it just sounds like Travis Scott with similarly unspectacular rapping abilities, but not nearly as impressive production. The strength of this album, and I was happy to see, is in the melodies and the singy-songy vibes, which are quite good on this album. And you know, the reason I think people love Cuddy singing so much isn't because it's obviously technically sound, it definitely isn't, but it's because it's approachable. I feel like it's genuinely fun for people, myself included, to sing along to a tune that you actually feel like you're nailing because the vocals aren't traditionally impressive. Some highlights with the melodies are found on Another Day and The Void. I love singing along to those tracks. 
the Loving Me track with none other than the up-and-coming star folk singer Phoebe Bridgers was really cute too. And the Trippy Red collab was actually really dope. Trippy did exactly what he should have done, which is just stay in his lane and absolutely nail his kind of rappy, singy flow. I thought the song was really catchy. From a production standpoint, Man on the Moon 3, it does fit in with the narrative of the previous Man on the Moon projects, but this one is way more trappy. It's like ethereal, trap, very atmospheric, and sounds very expensive, bassy, high gloss. I think his singing mixed in well, especially when the production was on the more psychedelic side. I still do though prefer the bolder experimentation and musical risks that we found on Man on the Moon 2, like on tracks Ghost, Maniac, that sounds so much more engaging than anything that's on this album. On Man on the Moon 3, the melodies are all strong, the production is consistent as well, which makes the album sound very cohesive. It's the subject matter and lyricism though that is too lightweight to move me like this brand of introspective music demands. This album harkens back more to Man on the Moon 1 in that it lacks some of the truly dark and ugly sides of Cuddy's emotions that made the content feel raw and more real on Man on the Moon 2. Obviously, this is due to the fact that Cuddy seems to be in a much more peaceful space mentally than in the past, which is great for him on a human level. And it's also great to see that by all accounts, Cuddy has stopped abusing a lot of hard drugs, which is what led to a lot of the really dark places Cuddy was in during the time of Man on the Moon 2. But the more surface level insight into his psyche on this album, especially on the latter half of this project, lacks the depth needed to make me really care about the emotional exploration presented throughout Man on the Moon 3. I think there are genuinely some highlights, but the highlights even then are not any of Cuddy's best songs in my opinion. However, this does feel like a bit of a step up from the overly long and overly drawn out Passion, Pain, and Demon Slain project that Cuddy put out in 2016. Because it does really flow quite well, there is a really consistent and very clear focus musically, and, and lyrically for sure, that does make this album pretty enjoyable. It's just that there's nothing lyrically and content-wise that I feel is deep enough, insightful enough, impactful enough to keep me going back to it. And it's for that reason that I give this project a decent 6.7 on 10. Fans of Cuddy, really big fans, will I think like this album quite a bit more uh, than I did just because my criticisms of this project are quite consistent with his other music that has already been well received in the past just like this one which seems to be getting some good reviews as well i just don't think cuddy is really my prototypical kind of artist but there are again good quality cuddy singing and cuddy singy songy flows here that i do think would reward uh particularly the strongest cuddy fans for people who are not really into Cuddy's style, never was into his style, this will not change your mind at all. 
maybe the trap production is a bit of a change of pace that maybe you like so maybe give it a listen for that reason and for the casual rap fan Kid Cudi's one of those artists that I feel like some people just connect with and some people just don't and so I think it's worth a try because this is still positive music and this is still music that is worthwhile and substantive enough I just think I'm personally looking for less mood music and more details and real concrete introspections. Now I'm going to finish this episode off by continuing this series of indie spotlights with Rick Chimes and Yelnam Eved's Stones Project. So before I get into this, a reminder that you can hit me up via email at qlctv.podcast.gmail.com or just DM me on Twitter or Instagram at R-O-H-V-I-E-W if you want your music reviewed on the podcast or if you just want some private feedback. I'd love to give you some shine or help you grow as an artist. So Rick Chime is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-born rapper who is currently living in Bellingham, Washington in the United States. Rick has a pretty unique and unfortunately sad backstory as to how he got into music and really pursued it as a career. So at the age of 15 years old, uh, his father suddenly died in a plane crash and that led him to completely embrace music and basketball as a successful collegiate athlete which all served to kind of protect him and save his life, for lack of a better word, keeping him on the straight and narrow, giving him something to look forward to or a purpose in life. And I can really relate to that as someone who's lost his mom at a very young age as well. I'm really happy that Rick was able to keep going and find something that makes him happy. So that's really great to hear. And as an artist, Rick has aimed to use his life story as a tool to encourage mental health awareness, empower young humans to pursue their passion. He's a creator and a performer who once continuously freestyled for over 17 and a half hours, like that's nuts, and actually holds a music supervisor credit on none other than Jay-Z's film Fade to Black. So in 2020, he released two albums, one of which I'm reviewing today, In Stones, that dropped back in October with production by Yelnam Evid. So I really hope I'm saying that name right, by the way, but just apologies if I'm not. Yelnam has created thousands of instrumental pieces spanning over two decades. Uh, Most recently, he contributed two instrumentals to Chris Oryx's Mellow Music Group release, Out to Sea, under the moniker Man at Work which is a project I've actually checked out in the past and liked quite a bit. So this Stones record is the first official release from their Daily Pieces 365 project, which was a literal daily collaboration between these two artists. So very prolific artists, as you can see. On Stones, what we get here is Rick Chime rapping in a very stream-of-consciousness style with insightful observations on a variety of really relevant and meaty topics such as racism, politics, and mental health. And it reminds me a lot of Minnesota rapper Slug from the group Atmosphere in terms of the lyrical content and his rapping style. 
From a production standpoint, what we get is piano-driven, tasteful, jazzy productions from Yelnab Eva. So after hearing what Stones has to offer, my key takeaway from this album is clarity. Clarity in the rhymes that are so poignant and strong when it comes to describing socio-political issues and Rick's view on life. And clarity in the instrumentals as well that are serene and peaceful that make me feel really relaxed, but not bored or disengaged by any stretch. Stones comes off comforting and wise and gives me the feelings of calmness in a year that certainly could use more of it. This is grown man rap that is inviting and will make you feel at home in a world of chaos. This album was really well constructed, with a lot of attention to detail, particularly when it comes to the atmosphere that is cultivated by these beats and the transitions. It really adds to a cohesive expression, which really ties all of these songs together quite well. There's a lot of neat sound effects used throughout the project as well, which I found really, really nice. It's often these like birds chirping, uh, cars passing you by. You feel like you're in a location with Rick and Yelnam. So really well done there. And staying with the production, I just really appreciate how classy these instrumentals all feel. They're all really nicely mixed, nothing too loud and abrasive, just really tasteful. And I think that complements Rick's rapping performance really well because Rick as a rapper is just very wholesome. You, you really feel like you're either learning something or just hearing from someone who is a good guy. Like It's just very apparent from the rhymes that he's trying to spread some positivity and shed some light on some important topics. The intelligence displayed in the content is just overall a real strong point. His take on politics on tracks are very poignant and do a good job of capturing the current day problems in society, but in a really kind of matter of facty kind of way. Like I said before, it's very stream of consciousness. So it often just sounds like he's making a bunch of different observations and giving it to you on a song all at once. Pressure Cooker, which is a highlight on this album for sure, particularly because straight up it seems like our political views are decently aligned. So I like hearing a rapper talk about how Trump isn't the only bad thing in the world. He's not the uniquely bad boogeyman that a lot of liberals like to make him out to be. Where he makes the clear distinction that Trump is just another figurehead for the same powerful ghouls that have been ruling the states for many many years and so on this song it's just really neat like the track's called pressure cooker so he's kind of just connecting a lot of different problems in the world uh in one kind of stream of thought and i think it's really really dope he also has this amazing g unit bar on this song that is just so clever and still actually makes a concrete political point as well on Smothered, the following track, this hot streak continues where I do appreciate how detailed and clear, like I mentioned earlier, that Rick is in his rhymes because he does attempt and I think succeeds in addressing a lot of different problems and issues in the world, 
with the clarity and nuance that they deserve. Uh, on this track, he makes a lot of connections to the prison industrial complex in a really tasteful way that for those that maybe aren't as aware of this topic, you can actually learn something. And I think he does it in a way that's smart, but also the flow is nice, the wordplay is cool. There is more than just political or introspective content here. The rapping style and the rapping ability is definitely on point. Where I think this album could improve is that a lot of the beats are very much the same tempo. They're all very mid-tempo, but more than that, they're all very similar in musical style. They're very piano-driven, jazzy. And that's totally good in theory because the sound is executed very well by Yelnam. The problem I have is that because Rick is a rapper that doesn't often change his flow too much, I found that it started to get kind of samey towards the back half of this album, even though the album isn't very long at roughly 36 minutes. I feel like Stones could have benefited from a bit more highs and lows, releases of tension, stemming from song structure variety, but also in the hooks that aren't very much a huge part of this album, so it's not a huge weakness, but at the same time, I think some stronger hooks could have satisfied that idea of a bit more variety in the mood or variety in the energy of this album that could keep me more engaged throughout the project. The time when I feel like they do kind of change things up is on the track Killing Time that I just didn't really like all that much. Um, the beat was definitely different, so this is kind of what I'm talking about. This is what I was hoping for a bit more of, just better executed, because the beat wasn't really all that good to me. And although Rick, once again, had a lot of substance and smart insights in his bars, I didn't like the effect that really muddied his vocals. I know that was the intention. They definitely put some distortion there on purpose, but I just wasn't a big fan of it. Stones, as a whole, is a project that I definitely like quite a bit. There's really not much in terms of bad beats other than I didn't like that Killing Time beat, and really there's no bad verses. The only kind of weakness or thing I hope to see more of from Rick and Yelnam in the future is just some tweaks in terms of how the album is constructed, adding some more variety, maybe even some features could be a good move. But I think they are already clearly very refined artists, so I have very high hopes for them in the future, especially with Rick when it comes to his lyrical approach. I think that is definitely very special and very needed in today's rap game. So I expect that they'll actually truly wow me from front to back, not just on a couple tracks in their future work, because they have a lot of talent, a lot of skill, and they're already almost there in terms of reaching their full potential. If you're fans of artists like an atmosphere or just rappers that kind of exude grown man rap, mature honesty and insight on life, I'm thinking of artists like Little Brother as well, I do think you should check this out. This is right in that same kind of lane. And if you like your rap on the jazz side or you like your rap on the more traditional boom bap side, this definitely could be for you as well. So check this out, Rick Chime and Yelnam Eva Stones, a really solid ass project.
So this concludes today's episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this helped you understand what music to check out or stay away from. And now that I've spoken, it's your turn to make your voice heard. So let's keep in touch. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rowview, R-O-H-V-I-E-W, to connect with me on a personal level, where you'll be able to interact with my thoughts and perspectives on music, surely, but also on politics and sports as well. If you're an artist who wants to get their new song or album reviewed on the show, hit me up via email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com or just send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram. I would love to give you public feedback through a review or private feedback if that's what you'd prefer. I would love to be a part of helping you grow as an artist. For exclusive content and updates related to the show, follow the Rap Music Plug podcast on Facebook. You can find all of this information along with exclusive playlists created by myself by clicking the link that's in the episode's notes. So that's all for today. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.